0: I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. We are going back to the hive for season five of Matt The Connor, Connor and Smith Show. And Smith Show. All right. Um, today we are talking to. Carl Tanner. I was going to build it up a little more. I was trying to find my. Uh, basso Profundo. My Basso Profundo. But he's not a basso, he's a tenor.
1: <laughs> okay. Never so, mind. world
0: famous it. opera singer Carl, Carl Tanner. Tanner. Uh, We'll be joining us, SU alum, of course, because he's in season five. Um, We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Hello. Hello. Hello, Carl. Can you hear me? I can. Can you hear me? Absolutely. How are you, my friend? I'm well. Can you hear me well? I'm using a microphone. I'm not sure it's working. Yeah, we can hear you fine. Great. Okay. Hi there. Um, I am sitting here with my husband and co host, Matt Connor. Hey,
1: hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey. How are you? Oh, God. Who cares?
2: <laughs> and you our. Know, you're right. <laughs> okay, go on.
0: And our producer, Ryan Dean Halbrook, also an SU alum. Hi, Ryan,
2: SU alum.
1: Carl, where are you tonight? Are you in town-ish?
2: Yeah, yeah. I just got back from Cincinnati. I was out there doing AIDA.
1: Oh, nice. Yeah. How long was the run?
2: Well, they're still going. Um, I just went out there to step in for an ailing tenor who was a friend of mine, and he got better, so I was able to leave.
1: Wow. That's sort of a, a thing, right, in the opera world where you can kind of jump in and out of roles at times? Well, actually, I kind of lied about that.
2: He's not ailing. There was, he was in Europe and he was to come and do the Saida in Cincinnati. But they called me and said that Munich had lost a, a four tenors. I'm not making this up. They lost four tenors in a row to COVID. And they asked Greg if he'd step in. Greg said, I'll do it. Let me get clear through Cincinnati. Cincinnati said, yes. And so they asked me if I'd come and do everything for them until he got there, if he ever got there. And I said, sure. Cause I was sitting around at home cause I'm in between, uh, I'm a jeweler also. I have a jewelry company. So when I'm not singing, I'm doing jewelry and vice versa. So I was sitting in between both and I thought, you know what, I'll pop out there cause, and then I was able to travel from there and do my jewelry shows. So yeah, everything was good. And yeah, it's, it's a normal occurrence these days.
1: So how many times have you actually stepped into Aida? Um,
2: Um, five pr- pr- probably around 11 or 12 times yeah
1: wow so you can you just pick it up and kind of be like okay i've got this these pages down good
2: oh yeah, yeah, yeah i've done the role about 211 times i was counting and and so i thought okay i've done this is the role i've done more than any other career in my life so in my in my life so yeah um yeah i've done this and then Otello was a second so it's wow. it, it's just like putting on a jacket with this role
1: so yeah so I, I, I put up your, your wonderful Wikipedia page. I see that you are from Arlington. I am. So you went to school here. And then how did you find Shenandoah? Did Shenandoah find you? Did you have other options? Well,
2: you know, I, I, I went to... <laughs> okay, so my mom wanted me to be a big fish in a little pond. And I wanted to be... I wanted to go anywhere that would accept me. And the first school that accepted me was out of high school was Maryland university into their music program. But I also wanted to play football and I got on the football team there, but I was kind of a, I didn't have a, a chip on my shoulder, but I was just kind of thinking, I pulled up the first day of school. I wasn't ready for it. I should have taken off a year and just decided what I really wanted to do. But I got to the Maryland university, uh, College Park campus and all the all the freshmen had to park like off campus and we had to walk. And my first class was three quarters of a mile. Oh, God. And I did it for about four days. And I said, this is BS. I'm not going to do this. (laughs) So so I just said, you know what? And plus, I didn't know if I wanted to get a music degree and I didn't know if I was going to end up being cut from the team or any of that stuff. So I just said, you know what? I'm going to take off for a year. So I took off for a year and I was hanging out and uh, I was just working odd jobs. And, and I, I thought, okay, I'm going to go get a trucker's license. And I was too young to qualify for a CDL license. So I started just driving a truck for a small truck for a company. And then I'm uh, and then I said, okay, then, you know, I, I saw my friends going on with their lives and most of them were in college or university. So I said, you know what? I'm going to start looking around. So I looked looked at Manhattan and the schools there, but I thought, you know what? I'm kind of, I don't want to go far away from home. I was really, I loved being home. I loved my home. I loved living with my parents. I loved, you know, I wasn't ready to grow up. And so I saw that I could audition at Shenandoah. So I just went out and walked in and did the audition. And immediately they took me. And I still wasn't ready. So when I went off to Shenandoah and I thought 75 miles was a world away. I'm I'm that much of a country boy. And yes, I'm from Arlington, but we're still below the Mason-Dixon line. So, you know, I was so much of a, uh, a homebody that I would drive home every weekend. I bought a little piece of 1967 Ford Falcon piece of junk. And I would drive home to be with my parents every weekend because I just my parents and I got along so well. Yeah. Uh, and little did I know that they were going to die young. They both died in their late 50s, which was shortly after I got out of college. So I was able to milk the time I had with them. So, yeah. Who, who was your voice teacher in at school? Shenandoah, my first teacher was um, Lloyd Robb. Lloyd Robb. Oh my gosh. Lloyd Robb was my first teacher. Oh my gosh. Well, when I went on, when I went there, he said, Cole, you're not, you I'm sorry. You're not a baritone. <laughs> and I said, what? He goes, you're not a baritone. He said, I've never heard baritones would be flats like you. Wow. And he said, you he said, and I said, well, look, I know I'm not a tenor. I said, they, they have to sing high. He goes, yeah, but they make about th- twice or three times as much as
1: baritones. I said, well, I, I think I might be a tenor. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. And had you already studied voice upon arriving at Shenandoah? I had worked
2: with a teacher at my high school and I started having lessons with him because I was in the choir there. And he wouldn't let me sing. He wouldn't. He actually he said, Carl, just kind of mark. And he taught me how to mark in choir. He's because your voice is kind of too big for the choir. But I want to keep you close and I want to work with you. So he kept me close and he worked with me for the last year of high school, my senior year. And so when I went off to when I and then I had no voice lessons for a year or anything. And then so when I went to Shenandoah, he said, uh, Lloyd Robb says, you're not you're not a baritone.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, and he was right. Um, Growing up, did you have any of those um, singers uh, that you were trying to emulate that you wanted your voice to be like? oh, everybody wants to sound like Pavarotti is it, if you're a tenor. Yeah. And, and if you
2: don't sound like Pavarotti, you want to be Pavarotti in other ways or any of that. So, you know, I I, I don't know. I, uh, I have a very funny Pavarotti story that happened later in life, but it started when I was about 14. And I, I just came across Pavarotti just listening to the radio. And I heard that voice. And, and that voice was, it was the greatest voice in the world of any human being alive. Yeah, You know, it was it, it just if you listened to him and you knew nothing about opera and anything about the voice or anything about anything about music, you knew yeah. that this was a special God-kissed voice, you know. And uh, so when I heard it, you know, I was uh, I'm ash- not ashamed. I'm not ashamed, but I'm a little embarrassed to say I grew up on country music and old country music and folk music. So, I was this little redneck boy, gay redneck boy from Virginia, <laughs> from Arlington, Virginia, who um, just loved country music. Yeah. But, but then I heard him, and I was about 14 years old, and I was at a garage sale, and I saw Pavarotti's greatest hits. I saw, I saw, I didn't even look at, I saw this clown on the front cover of this record album, and it was a clown beating a drum, and I, I bought it, it was $2. $3, something like that. And I went home and I said, mom, look at this. And she looked at it and she said, oh, this, this sounds like opera. It looks like opera. So she put it in. And the first cut off that album was Una Furtiva Lagrima. And I listened to it and I thought, oh my God. And, uh, and little did I know that later on, I, I knew I had this voice cause I heard him and I would go to the garage and make sounds that sounded to one of my one of my friends, I own, I said you got to hear this, and I took him to my garage and I sang, and he goes, oh my god, he goes, I don't know what that is, but don't ever do that again. And I said, why? And he said, he said, uh, you sound older when you do that. Huh? And so I knew I had an operatic voice because I was comparing it to Luciano, and right. I thought, okay, so yeah, that kind of answers your question. Everybody wants to grow up to be Pavarotti. So.
1: Did you ever work with? Um... Uh, Justino Diaz Justino Diaz No I never did Um, I
2: covered I covered an opera Where he was In the show But no that's as close as I got to
1: Justino Diaz Diaz, Well embarrassing story I didn't know who Natasha's father was And of course I was in a show with Natasha I came out to a bar at Signature Theater And her dad was there And I was like hey And he was like I am uh, I am Natasha's yeah. father. And I was like, oh, cool. Is this your first time in D.C.? <laughs> he was, <laughs> and, 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 you know, what do I know? I went to school to learn how to tap. That's and, cute. Uh, That's cute. And he said, uh, I actually uh, inaugurated the Kennedy Center in 1970. And I was oh, like, yeah. I was like,
0: eh. <laughs> Anyway. Um, I just went to my record cabinet. Has it been chewed up by a dog? Yep um i i thought i had perhaps the same record you were talking about carl yeah uh when i was probably about 13 my nana had a record that i put on and i was transfixed and it's pagliacci yeah but it's not um it says leon cavallo does it say Pavarotti's greatest hits no, it's it's just excerpts from the National Opera Singers and Orchestra. So I don't think Pavarotti's on it because his name's not on it.
2: Oh yeah. This has a big it has a big picture of Pavarotti smiling, beating a drum, and he's dressed as a clown.
1: Is this 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 is English?
2: Uh
0: probably, yeah. It, it says uh, Royale. <laughs> it says recorded in Europe, maybe. It says London. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah,
2: probably the London Symphony.
0: Um anyway yeah it says recorded in europe there you go anyway so i think my first opera experience you know, audibly was hearing pagliacci and it is very jarring um when you have not heard that kind of music before yeah and that's a heavy opera too that's and then heavy... he starts laughing and crying and yeah and you're like what am i listening to this yeah. is amazing
2: yeah, it's it's pretty damn amazing because even if you don't understand the language and you're listening to this guy going "ha ha ha," he's saying cry, he's saying "laugh, clown, laugh." When you're dying inside and your heart is crying, you're supposed to make people laugh as a clown, and little little do they know that your wife is cheating on you. That's the that's the the undertext or whatever you call it, the the, the text basically behind. Uh, the subtext that's the subtext behind what's going on you know he here he catches his wife much younger who he who he acts this this tenor I mean this this character uh kanio catches his much younger wife uh, cheating on him making love to this to this much younger man um, and every time they go they take the little carnival to a different stop this guy meets her there
0: and he, he
2: sits in the audience and watches her and they're having an affair behind Canio's back and Canio, the way he met this young girl is he took her off the street. He says in his aria, it says in an aria in the, in the last towards the end, right before he kills her, he says, he says, I, I loved you as a daughter, but then our love changed. And he means, you know, we fell in love. But he must have taken her off the street when she was a when she was a homeless girl or when he found her and she was probably fifteen fourteen years old and and here she is early twenties and he's in his fifties so and he raised her and it's it's kind of a touchy subject if you think about if you think deeply into the subject it's more it's a little bit like um what's what's the 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 movie director's name um, you know. Uh, Sun Yi, Sun Yi and Huken, Right, right, right. You know, that kind of, that kind of thing, if you want to go down that, that road. But yeah, he, um, it's really sad. And Pavarotti was one of the greats in the role, although he, I don't think he did the role that much in, as a you know, in, in costume where he sang it, recorded it. Um, but I'm not sure he did it a lot. I can't really attest to that. I don't know. I know he did Aida. And uh, he did a lot of roles at the Met, but I don't know if Pagliacci, I think Pagliacci was, he did that there, but yeah. um, Yeah. It's, it's a pretty jarring, pretty jarring uh, uh, experience. You know, when, you know, everybody says, when you go to the opera, your first opera should be either Carmen or La Bohème. La Bohème, Carmen's a little heavy. In every damn opera, someone dies, but La Bohème is, you know, the Bohemians, it's, uh, It's uh, Rent. You know, it's that kind of stuff from Broadway. It's lightheartedness until Mimi dies. And that's people's usually introduction to opera.
0: I've only been lucky enough to do two operas outside of um, in the professional realm. I got to do and both of them had Shenandoah voice teachers in them. (laughs) Oh, really? Um, yeah, I got to do a street scene at Wolf Trap Opera.
2: Oh my God, that that's an amazing, amazing show.
0: Yeah. Amazing. Um, I The only reason I got to do it is because they were looking for the Broadway-style couple to do the uh, moon face, starry-eyed you know, dance number.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but Gene Galvin was in the ensemble of that. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. And then I got to do Regina at the Kennedy Center uh, with Patti LuPone and... Edry Means was her understudy.
2: Yes, she was. He and means,
0: yeah. Jean Galvin was also <clears throat> in that as well. Um, wow. So anytime I did foray into the opera world, there were SU voice teachers right there, which says a lot about SU. I mean, yeah. Yeah. they're not only teaching, but out there in it doing, you know, I think Wolf Trap and the Kennedy Center are two really prominent opera places in D.C. at least. Um yeah. Um, but, but uh, you have been all over the world, Carl. Uh Yep. Yep. Since, uh, you were the class of 85 at SU. Yes, I was. I, I should have been 84, but like I said, I took off a year. So then how long after graduation was it that you just started? What happened right after, uh, graduation?
2: Well, you know, I was, the great thing about going to school in the United States is, students here are highly educated or they used to be put it that way. Okay. Now, now schools, gosh, maybe I shouldn't say this, but big universities, big, these universities that buy up their towns, you know, they're not about education anymore. And that's me just getting political, I guess. I don't know, but you know, this, but Shenandoah highly educated me as an artist. Yeah. But I wasn't ready to go off and do an audition, and land a job, and perform somewhere, because I had no, I had no experience, you know, and I, I, now that I'm a little older, I've, I've suggested that local schools get involved with local opera companies, and get their students in some of the chorus roles, and stuff like this, because when you have that great musical theater artist, operatic artist, instrumentalist, and they graduate university, Then they're starting over again. right? But imagine how far they would be if they were introduced and exposed, you know, to being in a production, whether in the pit, backstage, um, on stage, if if they had that chance. And that's what they do in Europe. They don't concentrate necessarily so much on education. They do. They get their education as actually doing it. They learn by rote. And here in the United States, we don't do that. We educate, educate, because we want feel people to feel that they're getting their $200,000 education. Yeah, it becomes more of a business. Yeah, and it is a business. Now, education is a business. I have a 13-year-old child, and my husband always says to me, you know what, he's going to go to college, and he's going to be a doctor or whatever. And I'm like, you know what? Um, it makes me think every time he says that, that my son's just going to be another one of many out-of-work people with a very good education. And and I'm not talking badly about school. I'm not saying education is bad. I'm saying the schools are now not schools anymore. They're not, uh, what do you call it, institutions of education. They're institutions of give us your damn money and as much as you can give us, and good luck when the door hits you on the ass in the ass when you go on your way out. Right. And unfortunately, that's what America's become, because if you look at our now, again, I don't want to get any political or anything because I'm not. I hate politics. But if you look at we get an education here, we graduate and we're saddled with hundreds, not thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt. And we're 23, 24 years old. You know, if we're lucky, we can get a scholarship. If we're lucky, we get a grant and stuff like that. But many don't. But then you look, and that's here in the United States, but you look at Canada, all the European countries and everything, great, great institutions of education. And a semester costs $10,000, $8,000. You graduate with $30,000, if you're unlucky there. You graduate with $30,000 in debt. So something's broken in this this country, right? And we're not doing anything about it. Because these colleges are just raking in the dough.
1: I'm still $9,000 in debt to, to my loans for SU. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm 52 effing years old and I'm still paying this thing off. And you know, I'm lucky. I had a rich uncle
2: walk in one day and I don't know, you guys are too young to remember this, but I walked in, I, I got called into Zigafoos. His name was Zigafoos. And he ran, he ran the financial aid office. And uh, I was never called into the financial or into the office or the president's office or anything like that, because I was a pretty good, pretty good kid. And all of a sudden they they literally came and got me out of class and pulled me into class. I pulled me into the financial aid office and there was a guy standing there. And and this is another long story, part of chapter in my life. But he was standing there and he goes, hi, Carl. And he goes, uh, uh, he said, I'm your uncle. And I, I don't know if I'd met this guy in my life. And I shook his hand and I said, hey, how are you doing? Are you my dad's brother? And he said something like that. And so this guy, Zigafoos, said, hey, Carl, um, just want to make sure that uh, you're happy here at Shenandoah. I said, yeah. And he said, everything's good. I said, yeah. And I said, uh, OK. And he said, well, you, you can go on back. to And my uncle said, no, just stay right here. And so my uncle turned to him and said, so four years of college, he's already done one. And he said, yeah. And he said, so three years of college, he turns to me and he said, are you staying in school with your son? And I said, yeah. And he said, "Okay." And he said, so how much is the whole thing? Write a number down for me. Um, Give a little extra money in there for spending and all this and da, 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 da. And so they wrote a number down and I didn't see the number until later on. And he wrote a number down and like in a movie, my uncle opened this briefcase. And he had cash in this briefcase. Oh, my God. I, I mean, you know, like, like in a movie, you see that you know never happens. This What's was that? happening in front of me. Oh and Zigafoos goes, um, well, I was expecting maybe a check. And he said, no, I'd rather do this in cash. Is there a problem? Because if I leave, I can send you a check. And no, Zigafoos said, no, no, it's okay. And we're talking in excess of maybe ninety dollars to $100,000. Oh, my god! In the 80s, kids. <clears throat> so he whipped it out, paid everything and took off, gave me a hug, and uh, I can say this now. I grew up with the greatest dad that anyone could ever have. This country boy, redneck country boy from Southern Virginia raised three children that weren't his own and one that was. But all of us thought we were biologically his. And it turned out I was one of the three that wasn't biologically his. It's a convoluted story, and I won't get into it, but this uncle turned out. Now, stick with me here because you're going to hear banjo music. (laughs) Um, (laughs) This uncle turned out to be my father's nephew. Now, you heard that right. He was my, technically, grandfather's son, my father's oldest brother's oldest son, and he was close to my dad's age. And he had opened 27 gas stations in the Washington area. And then end up becoming very, very, very wealthy. Wow. Off of them and off of other investments and everything. And this was a drop in the bucket. He hugged me and he said, make your parents proud. And that's all he said. He Aww. loved my dad. He loved my mom. I thought it was because they did him a favor or something they told me later on. And it turned out somewhere in between, somewhere my mother was you know, playing around and, and had me. And, and then they got back to my father, got back together with this, with my, uh, my father got back together with my mom and he raised three boys and one of his own. So four boys as we were all his own. Wow. And so, yeah. So, but this guy paid my education and it was amazing. And so at Shenandoah, I was happy. I was, uh, I became a big fish in a little pond, I guess. Um, I didn't look at it that way because when I graduated, to answer your question, I was highly educated, but I wasn't experienced. And so I didn't think I could I didn't think I was good enough to go on and maybe forge a career in opera. I didn't know where to go. And I thought and the last thing I wanted to do was move to New York at that time. I wasn't ready. I was still going back every weekend to my parents' house in Arlington. So long story short, I went and got a job. I went out and got that CDL driver's license, that truck driving license. Yeah. I was old enough then. You had to be at least 21. So I went and got that driver's license and started driving um, uh, what they call a Peterbilt, a a semi for a local company in the Washington area doing local hauls but big rig all over the well, Tri-State, Maryland, D.C. and Virginia. And I did that until I realized I wasn't making any money. And then I did another job.
1: Yeah. So I see this amazing story. <clears throat> sounds like sounds like you've got many, many scenes already for the Carl Tanner film. I do. Um, yeah. It, it says here that you, a woman in a convertible once yelled up to you. Heard you singing. Heard you singing. Can you tell that story? Yeah. So it was a
2: Saturday, and I, I remember this vividly because I never worked Saturdays, but they were doing inventory, and the driver that drove on Saturdays, he was sick or something. So they were behind. Nobody could drive. So they called me and I said, yeah, I can do it. And they said, we'll pay you overtime. I said, "Okay." So I went out and got my truck. It was already loaded. And I had just come off of Route 50, coming on to 495, went down 495 to Route 95. And I was heading down 95 south. As soon as I turned, this is Saturday, anybody going on 95, the corridor, 95 right in Springfield, anybody that goes that area knows that it's a parking lot. And it was worse back then in the 80s because... We only had two lanes on both sides and as many cars as we do now. Pre-mixing yeah, exactly. And now it looks crazy. Now it looks like LA. Um, but so I'm sitting there in my truck and I turn on the radio and I never listen to classical music. I would, and I was scrolling through my, uh, my, you know, rolling through my radio and trying to find a country station <laughs> and <laughs> uh, yeah. I know my husband says, don't admit that now. But, um, so, so he said, uh, so I was scrolling through and all of a sudden I come across the live broadcast from the Metropolitan Opera and it was Tosca. And so I start listening to Tosca mm. and the tenor is singing his, um, his aria his very famous aria and it's, he's, um, He's been sentenced to death and he knows he's going to die. So he's reminiscing about how the first time he met the soprano, the Tosca, Tosca, a Florida Tosca. And it's a beautiful aria. And I start singing along and I think it was Domingo. And this lady's blowing the horn and I'm sitting in dead traffic. And I'm higher than everybody. So I can see it's 30 cars deep in front of me. So I look down at her and she's driving a red convertible K car. You guys are probably too young to remember those, but they were little. Can I curse on this program? Yeah, I shouldn't, right? They were little shit boxes. They were little square. <laughs> they were little square pieces of crap that uh, Lee Iacocca invented um, because it made Chrysler a lot of money. But they were only about eleven thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, and convertible was a little bit more. Well, this car was red convertible with tan leather interior. It was beautiful. She was in a red dress and blonde hair and looked like Marilyn Monroe or somebody out of the, out of movies. And she had glasses on and I turned down the radio and I said, what? And she said, you're missing your calling. You sing like that. Was that you or the radio? And I said, eh, a little bit of both. She said, why the hell are you driving a truck? Wow. And I waved and kind of said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I watched her drive off, not realizing that when she, pulled in front of me and drove and took off down the road that there was no traffic in front of me. And I heard people blowing behind me and I'm sitting in the middle of 95 going South with no traffic around me. Some people say it was divine intervention. Some people say, you know, I was a crappy truck driver. (laughs) I don't know what it was, but there was no traffic around. So I went to my next drop and dropped off. I went to my first drop and dropped off everything when I pulled back in to my work, I backed the truck in, I got out and my, my boss was there and his name was Gene and Gene goes, Hey dude, how are you? I said, great. He said, look, thanks for doing today. He goes, you know, I got, I got to tell you something. He goes, you know, I listened to all kinds of music. He said, and I was listening to the radio today. And he said, uh, he said, Placido Domingo was singing Tosca today. I said, yeah. And he said, um, and I said, you know, it's interesting. I heard it on the radio and he goes, I've heard you sing. And I know that you can sing just as well as him. Wow. And I said, really? He goes, you know what? He said, you really should just quit this and just maybe take a chance and go to New York. So there there's a second sign. Great. So I said, yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's weird. Do you know this girl in the red car? You know, I said, (laughs) you know, he said, huh. And I said, no, no, no. I said, I, I've gotten, I'm getting a couple signs that maybe I should do this. And he said, well, maybe you should. And I said, yeah, maybe. So I finished and I got in my car and I pull out on the Gallows Road, not Gallows Road, I pull out onto, I can't remember what it's called, turn left and I turn right on Lee Highway and I'm heading down through Falls Church and my car like breaks down. It just stops working. And I'm lucky enough to pull into a gas station. It was a Saturday afternoon. So I said to the guy, I said, look, can I leave my car here? I can't afford to get it fixed. But I'll have my dad and I come out and pick it up. He said, yeah, yeah, just leave it there. So I walked all the way down Lee Highway. I was in Falls Church. I walked through this big field. And it was a baseball diamond. And I remember this because I still have this from that field. I walked through this big baseball diamond. And, you know, baseball diamonds all sand. Right. And I, I stopped and I said, okay, now I've always been spiritual, but I've never been highly, uh, religious. I think, uh, I think the religious white right-wing nutbags have, have, uh, and I hope I don't offend anybody, but oh, well, um, <laughs> have, uh, you know, have hijacked religion these days, yes. but, and, you know, if they only lived Christ-like and not Bible-like, maybe they'd be different. But anyway, that said, um, Uh, I said, God, give me a sign. I said, because I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to do here. Yes, I have a degree in music, but I don't know what I'm... Do you want me to be a singer? Am I supposed to... Am I born to be a singer? What am I born to do? I said, if it's just being a singer, I will take any sign you give me. And it wasn't a choir of angels or anything, but I looked down and in the sand was a four-leaf clover. Wow. So I picked the four-leaf clover and I looked up and I said, deal. And when I walked home and I walked up in front of my house, I was always Carl, honey. My mom and dad always called me Carl, honey. I was never Carl, never, ever Carl. I was Carl, honey. And I walked up and Carl, my dad says, Carl, honey. He was country boy. He, said, he had a sixth grade education, 16 brothers and sisters, quit school, quit school at the age of 12 to help raise his brother and sisters. He said, Carl, honey what happened? Where's your car? I said, oh, I, dry, I broke down on Lee Highway. I don't know what happened. I said, well, look what I found. And I, I handed it to him and he took it and he said, honey, I want to talk to you about something. I said, yeah, now this is my father who only knew old country music. He only knew all, when I say old country music, I'm talking about old bluegrass and the most modern country singer he knew of was first generation Willie Nelson, which was 50 years ago. Right. Okay. So he said, Carl, honey, I-, I was listening in the car today, and I, I heard some guy singing that Opry stuff. <laughs> and I said, and he goes, honey, I heard, I heard that voice, and I hear you singing, and I, I know you like, you'd like to do that. So I'm wondering, why are you wasting your time driving a truck? Wow. And I said, well, Dad, I think I've made a decision to move to New York in about two weeks, and I want you to have this four-leaf clover.'" He had that four leaf clover above his, we had it, I had it framed and he put it above his bed and he died in the same bed with that fourth cleave clover. And I have that four four leaf clover now in hanging in my office. Wow. And, uh, and so that was the three signs I needed, or that, that was enough stuff I needed to tell me to get off my ass and to get to New York. And I was 30 years old, 31. So if anybody says, Oh, it can't happen to me. I challenge them because I'm on my next 30 years of a career. I'm 60 now. I just turned 60. My opera career is still going well. And I have a jewelry company that's a success. You know, and I was a damn good truck driver. So there's nothing you can't. I mean, I'm not a motivational speaker, but I'll tell you, there's nothing you can't do
1: if you put your mind to it. Well, um, this is such a beautiful motivational like story. Like literally, it feels like everything you've done j- just became aligned in some way, and it just kind of all be kind of revealed itself.
2: Well, I think everything was a stepping stone to to wh- everything is a stepping stone to where you're going next. Right. You know, everybody puts their eggs in one basket. When I give master classes, I tell kids have a plan B. If you hear this bullshit, only have a plan A and make it happen. Guess what? It doesn't always happen. It's not because of you. Right. Sometimes the stars are lined up for you in a different manner. Yeah. In a different constellation and you need to realize that. Yeah. And if you you know, look, I ha- I did I did one audition, my very first operatic audition and I got the job. My next 27 auditions, zilch. You think after 10, maybe I would have taken the hint and said, uh, maybe I'm not right for this. No. You know, maybe God wants me to be an opera singer, but nobody else wants me to be an opera singer. Wait, maybe wait. the four leaf clover wanted me to be an opera singer, but nobody else wants. So I could have quit. But every time I heard a no, I said, well, guess what? Uh, you're going to get tired. of. You're going to get so sick of seeing me do auditions. You're just going to give me an, give me a jam job to get rid of me. Right. And guess what? On my 28th audition, and I can count these. I did 51 auditions in my lifetime. And on my 28th audition, 29th audition, I did, I got my job. I got another job. And then that job snowballed into another job and that's how it happens in the opera world. But I still had to do auditions for famous conductors and famous producers and stuff like this.
1: Yeah. That's beautiful. Now, do you still, you, I'm sure you get called in a lot from your um, your career. Do you still have to audition occasionally for that random new music director or whatever? Yes, because you know why? Because
2: being 60 years old and having these young kids come in after COVID and think that, no offense, kids, but think that they know everything because they graduated with a degree in music and they can take over an opera company and they don't know who the hell their predecessors were right. You know, someone to ask me, Oh, it must be cool to be famous. No, I'd rather have the money. Right. I'd rather have the Hollywood money and no fame than having the, the opera fame and making what opera, you know, there's a few opera singers that make a lot of money and the rest of us at the top tier, we make okay money. We make enough to make a living. Yeah. And you know what? Fame is fleeting. We've heard that. And I'd rather, um, I'd rather be known in the opera world by the younger audience uh, by the younger audiences now and I understand that's how it goes. I understand that when you get older, younger people come in and they but you know what at 31 years old when I started my career, I knew who the tenors that went before me were. And I knew and when I went to cover or as, as some people say understudy, some of these tenors, I was in great admiration and awe of these people. And I was honored to be covering them. And, I, and you learn by watching. And I, I learned by watching and listening. And I learned what not to do and what to do. And nowadays, a lot of singers don't even know who the hell you are
1: if you walk into a, a, a studio. It, yeah, it feels like social media has put everyone on their own sort of self-important uh, profile Yeah. Self-grandizement. You know, I've seen, you see it all the time
2: on Facebook. You see, you know, I've never done this and I would never do it. And I don't do it. I don't do it, it. Never done it. I think it's, I get it when you are proud of where you came from and what you're doing and where you're heading. But when you know that people are out of work and you know that people are hurting and there's, you're on stage and there's 20 people, standing in the wings that don't have jobs. Yeah. Don't go on Facebook and go, hey, look at me, look where I'm performing. And from here, oh gosh, my flight was delayed by 15 minutes. So I have to stand in the airport. And I hate self grandizement I've never, never liked it. And yeah. you know what? Again, I'm one to say, thank your lucky stars. Wake up in the morning, give thanks to the universe that you have a job, give thanks that, you know. And if you don't have a job, get up in the morning and ask the universe for a job, yeah. you know, but yeah, these kids, man, I'll tell you, but there are some, some of them that know what they're doing. And unfortunately being 60 years old, they, they want to push the older, you know, cause when I, when, when I was going to Shenandoah, Lloyd Rob and my teachers would tell me, call, just take your time. You're going to bide your time. You have a big voice. You're going to have a great career well into your seventies. Now no one could foresee, um, uh, uh, COVID. Right. And that brought everything in the, in the entertainment world to its knees, but it shouldn't have brought everything to the world in the entertainment world to its knees, to where we forget all of the people that paved the way before us. Absolutely. And it, guess what? It did an opera. Every one of my colleagues from now I'm lucky I'm in what they call a Fach. They call it a German, I guess it's a German word. That means a classification. I sing the biggest and heaviest tenor rep in the world. So there's not a lot of guys out there that are crazy enough. Should I say not like me? No, I'm not. I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm saying crazy like me, crazy enough like me to take on this repertoire. And the ones that do, we know where we lie and we're thankful. Um, But I'm in a Fach where. If I wasn't in this classification of tenors, my career would have been over by 45. Wow. And so now I'm 60 and I'm still going around the world singing and I'll probably do it until, I mean, honestly, I wanna retire by the time I'm 65 and 70 at the extremely latest, you know? Uh, I have a 13 year old and it's the greatest thing I ever did was have have a child. We, you know, my husband and I, we've been together 31 years. And married for fifteen, and he's the—he's a saint. And my son is the greatest thing I've ever done. So,
1: oh, that's beautiful, Carl. Uh, I uh, talk about how you got into jewelry and 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 how people can find your jewelry and all that stuff.
2: I, I started making jewelry when I was fifteen. I took a class in Arlington at a career center at a community center, and I, I you know, back then we didn't have the internet, so I saw this ad in the newspaper. Just saying, I uh, want to make jewelry, whatever, da 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 da, um, apply, you know, or fill this out and send it in. So I mailed it in and I noticed on the bottom it said open to 21 and older. And I didn't know what that was about. And I was 15, but I was 15 with a mustache. So what the hell? I give it a try. And uh, so I, and I didn't, I never looked like a 15 year old. I literally looked probably 19 years old when I was 15. I was a big boy, not fat, I was muscular. I filled this out, sent it in and got into the class. And it was like, it was expensive then. And then in the seventies, in the it was $30 or something, 25 bucks. And it was learning how to make a ring over four weeks. So I sent it in, got the information for the class. My mom dropped me off for the first class and I walked in and I looked around and everybody's in their <laughs> mid to late thirties, you know, stuff like that. And the teacher looked at me and he just pointed to where I should sit. So I sat down at this jeweler's bench and he walked around with his wire. And, uh, and I, I didn't want to make a ring. I didn't have a girlfriend and I wasn't going to give my mom a ring, but I wanted to make a pin for my mom. So a brooch and I had an idea already of what I wanted to make. So I, I gave, I said, I asked him do you have like a little fat flat piece of silver? And he said, "You know, this is a ring course, right?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah, I know that." I said, and "He goes, how old are you?"
0: Yeah.
2: And I said, "I'll be twenty in two weeks." And he goes, "What year were you born?" And of course, you know, math was my worst subject, so I'm going <laughs> shit. Um, you know, and I was I was fifteen. I was thinking back six years, fifty five. And he goes, uh, "Talk to me later." <laughs> But before then, don't pick, any up, don't pick up the torch and don't pick up any saws. So I just sat there. And then he came around and he sat down beside me and leaned towards me. And he goes, well, how old are you? I said, I'm 18. He goes, okay, one more chance. <laughs> I said, I'm 15. He goes, okay, look, go kill some time for about a half hour and then come back in here. Huh. So I did. I hung out in the community center and did it. And I went back in. And he said, listen, I'm going to do you a favor and let you make what you want to make but you can't use a torch and you can't use a saw. I said I don't think I need to use a torch and I do need to use a saw but can I use a handheld saw? And he said yes. So I made this beautiful pin that we called Mom's pin for a while and then we changed the name cuz my mother loved trees. And she loved trees with swings. So I, I, see I made this, this right here. Yeah. Pin, and it's a little crudely made pin but guess what? I still have the original that we display in our jewelry case when we do jewelry shows. And it's become our our what do you call it logo? And that little pin took off in Japan because they revere their parents there. And that little pin in silver, the sales went crazy in Japan. We were mailing hundreds to Japan, got up to a thousand in Japan, then two thousand, then seven thousand. Wow. Seven thousand pins in Japan was selling them in silver and gold. And but it's called now Life's Tree Swing. Yeah. And uh, so I started, that was my first class. And then while I was at Shenandoah, I would go downtown on Saturday mornings and stand in the rain, the snow and the cold and the hot and watch this jeweler in his window. Finally he called me in one day and he said, I need an apprentice. Do you know anything about jewelry? And I said, I do know a little bit. He said, okay, do you know how to solder? I said, yes, I do. And he said, do you know how to size? I said, yes, I do. And he said, do you know how to re-tip? re is like when prongs that hold the gem go bad. I said, I don't. He said, I'm going to show you. He taught me everything, even the casting. And he said, now you're ready. He said, you're almost a master jeweler. I want you to take a test through the JBT, Jewelers Board of Trade. And I became certified jeweler through the Jewelers Board of Trade. And uh, yeah, and now I've been doing it for 45 years. And I've made jewelry on and off for jewelry stores and private clients for movie stars, rock stars, opera stars, country stars, um, you name it. And I've made custom pieces for everybody. And you look at my website and there's not much on there. And the stuff I have on there is some of it's pretty traditional. I've made the craziest things. And I've made pieces for, like I said, anybody. Uh, I've made pieces for um, the royal family, uh, distant royal family, but related to uh, Lady Di's family off in the yeah. distance. So, um, but yeah, I've, I've made a lot of pieces and I love doing it. And it was something that I almost in the, in that 27 laps, 27 audition laps, I thought, you know what, I'm going to go get a job as a jeweler and, and, and blow off this opera thing. Yeah. Because jewelry was my passion. Singing was a gift. Yeah. And somebody told me, you know what, don't worry about that gift. Come on now. He said, we all get gifts. This is not important. He was playing a reverse psychology on me. And it worked, right. Because I went on and forged that career in opera, but I still incorporated jewelry in my life. And so, six years ago, I restarted my jewelry company. And then during COVID, I made something like mm, two hundred pieces.
0: Wow! Which I've
2: already sold. Since COVID, we've sold three hundred and fifty pieces, and uh, and we're selling more. And I make uh, like tomorrow. I'm I'm I'll sit down at my desk and I'll make about forty. Forty pieces tomorrow from six a.m. seven a.m. until about nine at night, and then Wednesday I'll make some more, and then Thursday I leave to do a show in Syracuse, New York. Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah. Well, Carl, we're not going to keep you any any longer. We uh, we appreciate your time. It it looks like from your jewelry and just your life in general, like you just bring such beautiful things to life and uh i'm so glad you know I, we've only met a couple of times i think probably just at the signature lobby yeah, uh, yeah. it's just so great to hear your story
2: thank you thank you so much yeah you wind me up and i can get going i could talk for hours but but yeah thank you so much
1: i appreciate that and i hope yeah. we i hope we meet again in person somewhere yeah that'd be great now uh, before we we go during covid uh, did you have any sort of um Uh, series Netflix did you learn how to cook did you just go uh, just make all your jewelry did you have other things that happened
2: I actually started a podcast during COVID called Opera with Fries and we did a good 12 to 15 episodes and and we we still kind of have it hanging out there it's on YouTube and you can go check out we had some amazing guests um, Scott Hamilton uh, Michael Ian Black we had, you guys are probably too rem- young remember. I keep saying young, but everybody's younger than me, it seems like. There was a show back in the 70s, 60s and 70s, called Family Affair. Yeah. And there was a kid that played Buffy on there by the name Johnny Whitaker. And he had this little red hair and he did a lot of movies and a lot of television shows. He came on our show. And we have, we've had some big guests and we still have... Uh, uh kate flannery wants to come on jane lynch a lot of people want to still come on but we kind of put it on hold because i got busy with opera again my two colleagues that do it um they're they're busy one of them became a truck driver believe it or not it's oh my too gosh funny. another opera singer that became a truck driver and the other one went into real estate but now runs my jewelry company with me so yeah wow
1: anyway well congratulations buddy uh thanks for spending time with us Stephen. you and to I- Close us out.
0: Yeah, I, I just thank you so much. Uh, I, I've heard so much about you, and I'm so happy that this was able to happen. And you are spoken of with love and admiration by everybody from SU that we've talked to. So this was a, quite a treat to get to talk to you. Well, I got to
2: tell you, the one thing I took away, many, the one of many things I took away from Shenandoah was uh, a feeling of family when I left there. Because yeah. it was a smaller school then, it's not huge now. But it's, it was a smaller school then. I knew everyone; every new one knew me, um, and I knew that they wanted the best for me. That's the one thing I loved about. Another thing I loved about Shenandoah, you know. And uh, I even go out there now to hang out with Michael Forrest, and um, well, not since COVID. But you know, I, I Michael, I was working with him vocally as a teacher, and uh, yeah, so I, I love Shenandoah, and 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 I I haven't been out there, and like I said, since COVID. But every time I go to Winchester, it's grown so much, but I got to go back. But thank yeah. you guys. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Have a good night. Thank you. You guys too. Take care. Bye. Bye, Bye. Carl. Bye Bye-bye now, everybody.
0: Thanks so much for joining us, Carl. We really appreciate it. You have an incredible story um, and I'm so glad you shared it with us. It was very special. Yeah. And let's get together soon. Absolutely.
1: You like live nearby
0: yeah sort of i mean ish yeah Uh, if you want to learn more about us please visit www.connorsmithmusicals.com that's connor with an er you can also find us on social media on facebook instagram and tiktok under connor and smith again with an er please rate review subscribe to this podcast it really helps us out a lot share it where you share things post it where you post things uh join the discord discussion it is a little message board for those of us who do not have social media or don't use it you can share pictures and things there um also you can add music to the late 90s spotify playlist uh all those links are in the description of this podcast another great weekend here um in season five we appreciate you listening and we will be back with more guests next week all right have a good night Bye. bye